Excellent. Well, good morning, everybody. What a really powerful and apt time of worship we've had this morning. That was um, truly inspired, so thank you. Uh, excellent. Uh, what I want to talk to you about today is what we call the I Am Statements of Jesus. Uh, now, we were due to speak about this a few weeks ago. If you remember, it snowed, uh, so we had to cancel, and then we're a little bit out of sequence. So we just stepped me to one side, Chrissy jumped in, and we carried on uh, with the series. But I didn't want to lose sight of the I Am Statements, because they're so critically important to what Jesus is and what he's done for us. I think it's important we revisit those. Uh, during my research, I, I actually read a, uh, a sermon from Billy Graham that he preached in China in 1988. Uh, and I kind of wish I hadn't done that because once I read it, it was the only thing I could think of to do. Um, can everybody hear me okay? Is that all right? Yeah, okay. Um, so actually, uh, in fear of plagiarism, I'm going to use an awful lot of what Billy Graham said to those people in China back in 1988. But I do want to give him credit for this, and I think the other part is, uh, is scripture. So we're going to break it down into two parts. First of all, we're going to blast through quite quickly what the I Am statements are, and probably some key points. Uh, and then we are going to talk about point number seven. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, what were they? Well, actually, the I Am statement started in the Old Testament. Uh, it started in Exodus because God said to Moses, when they ask you who sent you, say, I am. I am sent you. And I remember when I first heard that verse, I thought, what a peculiar part sentence. I am sent you. It always felt like there was something missing it was a, a very bold statement, I get that, I understand that, but it seemed odd. It, it felt like there was something missing at the end. So I love the way that John wraps up those sentences in John, in the chapter John, uh, with seven different versions of Jesus finishing that statement of I am. So when we talk about the I am statements, we're not just talking about the Gospel of John, we're not just talking about the life of Jesus, you know, the 33 years that we're aware of. We are predating that quite some way, back to when God said, I am. And I think this is also a very important thing. If you don't know Jesus, this is Jesus' way of saying, I am fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies. I am the Son of God, okay? That isn't one of the I am's, by the way, but he was, so I am, um, if that makes sense. So yeah, a great backdrop to that. The first I am was in John 6, and it says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Uh, and I love that. And I've started with that one, actually, because if you know anything about business or leadership or life or... Uh, if you've had children, if you've ever well been alive yourself, you'll know that food is pretty important to us. Uh, you'll also know if you've ever been on this silly Atkins diet, that if you cut out bread from your diet, you feel hungry. I feel hungry. And carbs are so important to our diet. And, and that's why it's so difficult, I suppose, to do that. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> you can probably tell. Um, perhaps I should cut out some carbs, but maybe not that many. But Jesus is saying to us that, I'm not, he's not saying I'm the carbs of life, he's saying I'm the bread of life, okay? I am a staple to your diet. You need me. I will sustain you physically. Bread in the Old Testament was often talked about in terms of physical sustenance. So he probably meant food, actually. But bread is a, a really important part of our diet. 
So Jesus is saying, I'm going to sustain you physically. I am the bread. The second I am statement is, I am the light of the world. And for those following this, we're making notes, that's in John 8. And we've already talked quite a lot in the worship today about light, haven't we? And we're going to talk about light a bit later on as well. But light is critically important. We don't really fully understand light. Uh, We understand darkness. We understand darkness is the lack of light. It's the definition of darkness. Um, Did you know that dark is a made-up word? It's not even a scientific term. It is the definition of darkness is the lack of light. There isn't, it isn't anything. Darkness is nothing. So the only way to to describe darkness is the lack of light. So Jesus is saying, I am the light. I am the thing. Without me, there's nothing. We also know about light, that if you put a plant in a dark room, it won't grow. If you put us in a dark room, we won't survive. We need light. Light is life. Okay, we're getting this. We're starting to see a pattern already, aren't we? About the bread of life and now the light of life. Slide two. But Jesus says, I am the door. This is probably the least spoken of one of all of the I am statements. We often hear uh, the other ones, but I am the door. Uh, For me, this was really simple. Overly simplistic, actually. So I'm going to have to pause for a second. Am I echoing? Because I can hear this awfully. Uh, no, can you? Are, am I okay to you guys? There is a bit of echo, but it's okay. Okay, okay. It's incredibly off putting. Sorry, it's just in case if you wonder why I'm stopping. So I'll, I'll blow through as long as you guys can hear me. But I am the door. Have you guys ever tried entering anywhere via anything but a door? Yeah? You have? It's hard. Yeah. Like some smart people in the room might point out that you can climb through a window. You're playing with words, okay? Every room I've ever been into has a door. If you want to enter somewhere, there needs to be a door. And I don't know about you, I want to enter the kingdom of God. And for me to enter the kingdom of God, it's going to be really helpful if there's a door. Now Billy Graham does go on a little bit of a a sidetrack, talking about Jesus being a carpenter, so he knew quite a lot about doors and how to hang doors and whatever. I'm not going to waste your time today. But the fourth I am statement is I am the true vine. And you can find that in John 15. Uh, And I'll just read this to you. It was close to the time when Jesus, uh, when he was to die, and he was having his last meals with his disciples. He said some wonderful things to them. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Now, how powerful is that? We know we're chosen. We know we're in relationship with Jesus. Many of us are here on that journey already. But for me, this is, begins to speak of a call. This begins to speak of a... Where's the fruit? You can't just be. Maybe I should have dug this scripture out. Uh, you know, the branch that doesn't produce fruit will be chopped off. So fruit is really important. But he says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Fifth, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And this is probably one of the more commonly spoken I am statements. So we often hear about Jesus being the shepherd. We hear about his uh, 99 sheep that he left behind to go and find the one lost sheep, don't we? Uh, So actually, looking at Jesus as a shepherd is probably a more commonly uh, used term for Jesus. I think sometimes we can 
in our culture where I'm not sure there are any shepherds in the room. There's a few IT consultants, a few engineers, some trading standards people. <clears throat> Be careful what we say. Um, there's some sales people, there's some business people, but I can't see any shepherds. So I don't think we truly understand what it is to be a shepherd. This guy, if you're going to be a shepherd, you have to lay down your life and live with your sheep. Just think about that for a second. Uh, I saw Tim yesterday in Sainsbury's and he was asking me, why was I buying an extra pillow? I said, well, because I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the two pillows I've got. That's the level of comfort we live in, okay? I wasn't happy with the quality of pillow I had. A shepherd would have to go and sleep in the fields. A shepherd would have to share the food with the sheep. A shepherd would go off and find a lost sheep. Not just talk about what kind of pillow he had at night. It was the laying down of one's life. We won't talk about the story of the lost sheep and the fact that the shepherd would go and find him. We talk about the love and the dedication of that person to then go and find the one lost sheep. I think we lose the emphasis of it's far beyond that. This is the complete laying down of his life to love us, to care for us. He is the good shepherd. Sig for Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And of course we know that this is a foreshadowing to our eternal life. We know that when Jesus was here, he raised people from the dead. Uh, and somebody said recently, I think it was you last week, that he may have raised the physical life back into the physical body. But that isn't the resurrection life we're talking about. It's a symbol, it's a sign of what is to come. Our resurrection and our eternal life. Now I got hit by that probably about a month before uh, I came to Basildon to join you guys. I had a sudden crisis of consciousness. I think that's the right word. I panicked. Because to come into the ministry, to do what we do as Christians, it's incredibly important. And the phrase that came to my mind is this is somebody's eternity that you're messing with. You better be sure. You better be absolutely right. Absolutely confident in God's call on your life because this is somebody's eternity. So when I'm talking to somebody, stranger in the street, any one of you guys, for example, my next door neighbor, anyone, I have this constant ring in the back of my mind. And that can be absolutely disabling and debilitating if you let it, if you think about the severity of that. It can also be incredibly empowering and keep you incredibly focused on the task at hand. And that's where we're going to go now. Because the seventh, this is out of sequence, but this is the one I wanted to speak to you about today. This is the one that I felt God was highlighting for us as a church. Is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's probably the most common I am statement, other than the one in Exodus. Because he is the way, the truth and the life. And I don't know about you guys, but the world we live in, the world that when I go to work, when I go to the supermarket, when I get my hair cut, almost everybody I meet, I can describe as lost. Lost because they don't know Jesus. Lost because they're not in the kingdom. Now I maybe jump into some conclusions with some of those, but it's a pretty safe bet, actually, that most of the people I meet are lost, especially when you start to hear the language that they're using or the things that they're talking about. Um, and that deeply saddens me. 
that there are so many people that are lost. What saddens me even further is when you start to listen to why. Because I'm not afraid to talk about my faith. I'm not afraid to talk about what Jesus has done for me and how to get there. Sometimes it's well received. Sometimes I get a very polite, no, I'm not interested, please don't talk to me about that. And sometimes people can be quite cutting. Sometimes people can be quite rude. But I'm quite tough, so I can take that. I don't really mind. But what makes me sad is when I listen to their reasoning. Uh, and even my best friend, who isn't saved, uh, longest friend, I should say, says, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. And I really struggle with that statement. Science definition, by the way, but a dictionary definition of science is the study of everything. That is what defines science. Science is the study of everything. But they will not, they will not include that it is the study of God. I'd even be happy in that scenario for them, the unsaved, to call it the theory of God. Like they call it the theory of evolution or the theory of the Big Bang or whichever one you want to talk about. But they don't. They want to ex exclude God completely from their thinking. They want to exclude God completely from their understanding. And I think that's really sad. I think it's really sad that people won't believe in God because they can't test him. But because I can't see him, because I can't touch him, I'm not going to believe in him. My brother, and if he was here, I would still say it. Um, probably say it a bit rougher if he was actually here. He's 22, he's a young man. Uh, and when he was growing up, he struggled. He got bullied in school. And he said, how can I believe in God when I pray, stop the bullies? But he didn't. By definition, God doesn't exist, right? I prayed, I asked, he didn't answer. So therefore, God does not exist. And I could stand here all morning and give you more and more examples of what I would call sort of cop-out excuses for people to tell me why God doesn't exist. And yeah, okay, I cannot scientifically prove that God does exist. But they can't scientifically prove that he doesn't. That's apologetics at its very worst, by the way. I wouldn't use that argument if I were you. But I heard somebody in the summer speak of um, how can a good God let bad things happen in this world? So I've gone a little bit off, off book here. Um, and, and I was really struck by one of the things he said. And he was, just imagine, as a room full of Christians right now, that God doesn't exist. You still live in a world full of pain and war and suffering and hurt and crime and injustice and fear and I can repeat all of those things I could use nastier words but you get the point if there is no God there is no point all of that pain and all of that suffering will never be reconciled all of that war all of that injustice will never end and when we do get to the end of times there was no point it just happened because it happened. Now my faith in Jesus gives me a hope that one day that pain and suffering will come to an end. That at the end of time those things will be reconciled for the good. And that we will live in this resurrected life. In Jesus I have a hope. Without Jesus there is no hope. What really, really gets me is how little we are communicating the gospel to this next generation coming through. 
When I was young, we could hear about the gospel in school. Was it right? No. Being forced to stand up in assembly and sing those hymns and, you know, recite a certain prayer out of a hymn book. No. Did I find Jesus in that environment? No. But when I met Jesus, I knew who he was because of some of that teaching. And when I'd been dragged to school as a teenager, dragged to church as a teenager, I started to understand who Jesus was and what some of the scriptures meant so that when I actually did meet Jesus, I had a working understanding of what I was dealing with. I was able to give my life to Jesus because of that. I challenge you to go and speak to anyone under the age of about 21 right now. Maybe your children, maybe your grandchildren, maybe neighbours in school if you work around uh, youth as I've done for the last few years. You will be surprised at how little they know. They've heard the word God and they deal with God in terms of some supernatural being that lives somewhere in the clouds and that's it. Maybe, just maybe, they might have heard that he had a son called Jesus. It's got something to do with a cross, because all the people wear them things around their necks. But the understanding genuinely stops there. Now, is that because we've become super sensitive as Christians? We've stopped telling people? No, probably not. I proclaim the gospel. I know at least half of you in this room will proclaim the gospel to somebody. So why is it not being received? Is it political correctness where somebody says, no, 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 please stop. We stop. I think that's right, by the way. I wouldn't stop doing that if I were you. If somebody tells you to stop talking to them, probably a good idea to stop talking to them. The truth is, I don't really know why this generation hasn't heard of the gospel. What I do know is that I want to tell them, and I want to find different ways of getting that gospel message across to people. I was um, tragically tragically challenged uh, a few months ago by a mutual friend of mine, Keith Nadine. Um, Keith's heard the story a couple of times now. But I met this lovely bloke. He's a, he's a Christian guy from Syria. Uh, and he's a guy who genuinely puts his life on the line to share the gospel. And actually defend the gospel in a country where he works in the minority, I think is fair to say. So he's a real guy with a real commitment to the gospel. And he says, Ricky... This is in a room full of people. And I don't mind, I'm confessing something very real to you right now, by the way, this isn't meant as humour. Uh, it's a true story. It devastated me. Because in a room full of people, he came to me and said, pretend I'm a Muslim. You have 60 seconds, tell me what you believe. I'm not going to wait, you wait 60 seconds. That was three seconds, it felt like a long time, didn't it? 60 seconds, I froze. This wasn't 10 years ago, by the way. This was like two years ago. I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a youth leader. I answer questions all the time. You ever deal with teenagers? I deal with the best questions all the time. If God can do anything soon, can God create a giant killer, indestructible robot? Well, can he, if he can do anything? Yes, but if he can create a giant, indestructible killer robot, and he can do anything, Surely, he could destroy the giant killer robot. So he can't do everything, can he? I'll leave that one with you. I shall answer that question over dinner. That was a 15-year-old. On the fourth day of youth camp, he'd slept beautifully throughout the day. I hadn't had sleep for four days, and I was living on stale bread and cocoa pops, I think, at the time. 
I deal with the most difficult questions when you deal with teenagers. This was not a difficult question. This was, tell me what you believe. I've never been asked that question before. Do you know what's really interesting, how much I love God's plan? Is I have been asked that question so many times since, that if Nadim had not asked me that question that day, made me feel devastated that I couldn't answer it. I would never have gone away and spent hours thinking about how can I express my faith in a 60 second opportunity? That there are quite literally, I don't know, lots of people that would never have heard the gospel. But it took me that one moment in time to realise that I wasn't equipped. The scriptures tell us, equip yourself to answer every question that you're asked. That's the Bible tells us to do that. And I hadn't answered the most obvious of questions. What do you believe? I'm not going to ask you. I did think about it, Brian. Um, I'm not going to ask you to answer that question because it's an incredibly tough situation to be in. Now, I'm an extremely sort of chatty, confident kind of guy. You get that. Uh, So it might be a surprise to you that I'm actually an introvert. And I like to have time to think about things before I answer those. Uh, I give a lot of time to meetings before I go to them. I spend a lot of time preparing before I preach. Uh, So to be put on the spot in a question that I had not considered was literally my nightmare. In front of my peers and friends, I felt like a fool. Interestingly, over the course of the next two years, they've all confessed to me that they were so pleased it was me because they would have all done exactly the same. Um, let's fast forward a couple of years I'll, I'll try and keep it nameless because you might know the individual but if, it, if I let it slip just don't tell them um, it's not someone in this church but I was, um, I was in a situation where I was trying to encourage the younger adults so their early 20s to be involved in leading some meetings and in sharing the gospel now I didn't get my stopwatch out and say right you've got 60 seconds go all I said was do you want to do this bit? Do you want to share the gospel for us? You've got like a tiny little opportunity to share like a really simple gospel message. And the whole room fell silent. Now I remembered how I felt, so I backed off. But we spent a little bit of time considering different ways, in different opportunities, of how you can share a simple gospel message. If we believe the I am statement, that I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's somebody's eternity. Because Romans 10 also tells us that if we don't tell them, how will they know? It's quite simple. And in our generation, (coughs) did you like that? Our generation, let's forget the age gaps for a second. Um, But in our generation, that could not be truer. If we don't tell them, they won't hear it. I think the only TV show mainstream that I'm aware of nowadays is Songs of Praise that would speak anything similar to a gospel message. I think, yeah, we have lots of TV channels that are dedicated to Christianity, but you have to choose to watch those before they come on. I think in school you get taught very badly, religious education, um, unless you're lucky enough locally to have a good... um, religious education teacher whether they're a Christian or not but mainly you kind of get some pretty key points uh, to quantify that one of our um, uh, the giant killer robot thing by the way prompted us to have a no stupid questions opportunity in our youth group 
where people could come forward and ask whatever question they wanted. And the only rule was that no one could laugh at them. It was a genuine, no stupid question. It's like you could ask anything. Uh, and this had been going on for a long time. Somebody genuinely came one day and said, is it true that we have to pay tax to go to heaven? There's a heaven tax, right? No. <laughs> Who told you that? Well, my RE teacher said you have to give a 10% tax to the church and therefore to God. And if you don't, you won't go to heaven. And this was an RE teacher. Now, we all know about tithing, though we're not going to talk about that today, but we all know about tithing. We know the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament principle of tithing. We understand that it's an offering, okay? So, actually, maybe if they were talking in the context of Judaism a couple of thousand years ago, um, they would probably have been right in that statement. That, you know, kind of did look a bit like a tax. But it isn't for us. But that's the level of education that may have been isolated, but that I've had with the education system teaching the gospel. We are his church. So I went off my notes like 15 minutes ago, so I'm not even looking at them anymore. Sorry, this is not what I was planning to say. But we are his church. And if we don't share his message, we know Romans 10, no one's going to hear it. They won't know. But if they don't know, and they can't make that choice, Here's the big taboo one, right? Even the Pope was talking about it last week. Hell. What awaits for somebody who's not saved? Make no apologies for it. Certainly make no compromises for it. Jesus talks of hell. We know that. I don't want that on my conscience. They can make their choice. I'm not going to force my brother... My stepfather, my cousin, my uncle, my next door neighbour, my best friend, to make a decision for something that they don't believe. But I am not getting to the end of my life with their blood on my hands saying, I didn't even give them the chance. I didn't give them the choice. If I can give them the choice, kind of over to them then. If I tell you not to jump off a bridge and you do, then that's on you. If I tell you not to stick your hand in a fire and you do, you're going to burn your hand. But that's kind of your choice. And actually, that is the world we live in. Is we live in a postmodern, post-Christendom society where everybody believes in their own truth and their own choice and all those kind of things. We have to live with that. We do. But we also know the strength of our message. I know that my message is true. I know that the gospel is real. I wanted to give you a couple... Oh, am I right? 12.30 is the end? Okay, I'm, I'm a good boy, I'll stick to it. I'm hungry as well, so it always helps when you go to church lunch. I, I came up with kind of four practical points. And depending on how you want to receive these, these can look kind of weak, or they can look kind of strong, okay? It kind of depends on how much you want to do them, I suppose. But if you want to start getting the gospel message out there, first of all, you have to train yourself in the word. Uh, and I referenced it slightly earlier on that one of the scriptures said you have to be prepared to give an answer to every question if you can answer the tough questions which is kind of a little bit later on um, if you can answer the tough questions then the conversation is going to be very short 
Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Yeah, I'm not going to give any specific examples because we're all here, we're all real, we're all humans, we've all been through tragedies and I don't want to stumble into any of those tragedies by giving them as a flippant example. Um, but we can wrap all those up with why does God let bad things happen to good people? Why did God let bad things happen to Christians? If God knew that Lucifer was going to become a fallen angel and take one third of his army with him and cause us all this strife, why did he create Lucifer? That's a tough one. You asked Brian that one over dinner, okay? Um, if he knew that Adam and Eve were going to be so weak that they would make the mistake and fall at the first hurdle, why did he give us free will? If he loves us so much, why would he bother? Why didn't he just keep us for himself? Train yourself in the word. And actually do what I do. The biggest tip I can give you is when you get you come up against something like that, come and see a Keith, come and see a Tim, come and see a Brian, come and ask them a question. Say, this really stopped to me. Uh, I've been privileged for the last few years to live around some pretty amazing guys with some pretty amazing training, people like you and who's going to be down in a few weeks to, to speak to you. Go, they're not perfect. They don't know all the answers. But it's a good head start for you. If you come up against something you don't know the answer to, ask. It's a really simple bit of advice. But you're not going to come up against the question unless you read your Bible. And if you don't read your Bible, you'll never know the answer to the difficult question. So then you won't want to go and speak to somebody who might ask you a difficult question. Because you know you're not going to have the answer, right? The second thing you can do, and this is by far the most influential, is you can pray. Because absolutely, categorically, I will tell you this for nothing. There is nothing you can say or nothing you can do that is going to make somebody else believe in Jesus. Nothing. No matter how many cups of tea you invite them over for. No matter how many holidays you invite them on. No matter how many good news Bibles you give them. They are not going to love Jesus by the, your strength. They're not. If you pray for them, there's half a chance. There's half a chance. Petition God for those lost souls. Probably the people that you know, actually. Rather than just, at the moment, I have a real heart for this time. So there are certain specific people I'll pray for, but then there are certain areas that I'll pray for because I've fallen in love with the people of this town, if you haven't guessed, uh, genuinely. But you cannot change a person or their heart. Jesus can. Hmm. Number three. Be brave. Oh, stupid bit of advice, that, isn't it? Because if you could be brave, you would already be brave. But let me encourage you that in this postmodern, post-Christendom society, you actually have some rights. It's weird because it's kind of gone full circle that we couldn't tell anybody anything through fear of offending them, but that includes us. So we have a religious freedom to be able to share what we believe in complete and safety and security, knowing that as long as we respect them if they say no, you know, I, go, I said that earlier on, you have a right to share what you believe. Do it graciously, do it with compassion, but don't be afraid. You know, we're not Nadine in Syria, we're not the guys over in India at the moment, that was something else. I think when I came back from Goa and ended up on the streets of Basel, 
I had like a 1% of the boldness and courage that the brothers over in India had because I suddenly realized how unscary our environment really is. I can walk up to somebody in the street and tell them what I know and the chances are they're going to receive it. They're not. They're going to tell me to... We're not going to use language like that from the pulpit. Okay. But it does happen on a Friday and Saturday night in the town centres. I think finally, and in, in line with the prayer, it is pretty effective. But practically, you can live the life, you can live the gospel, you can love the people, you can invite people, you can talk to people, you can be not afraid to have those tough conversations with people. Uh, but one of the most effective ministries I've been involved in recently was a, was a youth initiative, it wasn't a youth ministry, uh, where we would very simply just open the halls of the church and allow anybody, and I mean anybody, in. No rules, no expectation, no criteria. Uh, there were some guidelines for safety reasons, you know, no knives was a good start. Um, please don't swear at one another uh, was another one uh, we made youth a non-contact sport they all found that really funny um, because it was a very simple way of uh, alleviating any boys and girls having kisses and cuddles in the corner but it was also a pretty good way of stopping people fighting one another because it was a one call fits all youth is a non-contact sport um, but the thing we did we didn't preach we didn't have a worship slot. We didn't give them any handouts about what the gospel was. They weren't there. They wouldn't have received those things. What they did receive was a tuck shop and somewhere safe that they could go on a Friday night, probably. And I do miss them, by the way, so this is kind of emotional for me. Um, for some of them, that was the only place for a whole week, for two short hours, that they wouldn't be shouted at. Don't be shared that with me once. So the only place I come where no one ever shouts at me. What'd you do with that? Okay, we love you. You're always welcome here. Stop kicking that guy in the head. But, you know, sometimes it was the only place they could feel safe. This is the gospel. Okay, we can't just assume that we're going to give out a handout or speak to somebody on the street and they're going to come to church the next day. Sometimes that will work, but most of the time it's going to be through living the gospel so that you make friends. And your friends can see something different than you. You've made the friends, so you start to pray for your friend, neighbour, work colleague, whoever. Then things will start to happen, because we know the power of prayer. And when things start to happen, they might start to ask you difficult questions. But of course, because you've been in the Word, and because you've been asking difficult questions, you're a little bit better equipped to answer some of those questions. And then finally, when they realise that this isn't all the biggest illusion or delusion of all time, and you do invite them to a church lunch, a bring-in chair, uh, an Easter service, a messy church, a waffle church, uh, whatever initiative you want to call it, there's half a chance they might say yes. But if you want to change their heart, there's little more you can do than pray for them. You have to commission them in prayer. In fact, can we start by doing that now? Um, so I'm going to pray uh, for you guys to have the boldness. Let's just jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to hear your word. Thank you for uh, the stark reminder of who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, we know that you are I am. We know that you are the light of 
the world. We know that you're the doorway. We know that you're the bread of life. And Lord, we know that we want to share that with the people closest to us. Jesus, give us the boldness this week, this month, as we come out, to challenge our own thinking and our own prayer life in how we deal with the gospel. Lord, we know that you want us to share the good news. We want to do that in a way that's well received. We want to do that in a way that's effective. We want to do that in a way that doesn't harm anybody. But Lord, we want to do something. So Lord, give us that boldness. Uh, Spiritually come and prompt us this week to do something a little different. Lord, bless this lovely group of people as we go and have our food. Uh, I can smell it already. It smells delicious. So Lord, bless the food to our bodies. And it's a great time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.